For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 295th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Claire McHugh, author of the historical novel A Most English Princess, a novel of Queen Victoria's daughter. Stay tuned for the interview. And stay tuned after the interview for an excerpt from the audiobook of A Most English Princess. Stay tuned for that audiobook excerpt right after the interview with Claire McHugh. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Claire McHugh, author of the debut novel, A Most English Princess, a novel of Queen Victoria's daughter. Claire, welcome to the podcast. So great to be here, Jeff. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, A Most English Princess, yet, how would you describe the novel? I would tell any potential reader, this is a novel about a royal woman, a royal woman, who had a very dramatic life. She was the daughter, the much-cherished daughter, of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. She couldn't, of course, inherit the throne, even though she was the eldest, because she was a girl. So her parents arranged to marry her off to someone she actually did love, Crown Prince Fritz of Prussia. But once she moved to Berlin, a lot of very dramatic things happened to her. She's the mother of the Kaiser. And um, her story is one that many women will relate to. Well, how did you decide to write a novel about Queen Victoria, Princess Royal? Well, you know, I um, am a historian by training, uh, and I'm interested in English and German history. My mother was English, and I spent a lot of time in England as a small child. Like a lot of um, people, I'm interested in the royal family and how they have played a really interesting role through history. What people forget is that the German and the English royal families were intertwined, and uh, Princess Victoria... Um, struck my fancy as someone who had a very difficult predicament in life. She was a very talented person, and yet she couldn't hold the highest office. She couldn't herself be queen. She had to be someone's consort. And I was interested in how she used her position, having been used herself, married off, to, to do good in the world. That's what intrigued me about her. Well, you just mentioned uh, something that I think some people are not aware of, and that is that the royal families uh, of Britain and Germany were linked through a variety of royal marriages. What kind of ended that connection? (laughs) Well, World War I is really, should be called the Cousins' War. 
because it's a war between people who are closely, closely related. Um, the Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany, who is my protagonist's son, he's Vicky's son and he's Queen Victoria's grandson, went to war against the King of England, King George V, also a grandson of um, Queen Victoria and, and um, thus the first cousin of, uh, of, of the Kaiser. So the King and the Kaiser were first cousins. And through another royal connection, the Tsar of Russia was first cousins with both of these monarchs as well. That put an end to any good feeling that bloody and terrible conflict put uh, an end to all good feeling between um, the family. And in fact, the royal families in both Russia and Germany were outlawed after the war. Only the British royal family survived. Right. Well, I know that there's an extensive historical record, including thousands of letters that were preserved. How did you go about researching this novel? I spent a long time researching. I, in some ways, I'm more comfortable as a researcher than as a writer, because when you're researching, you, you can find out more and more and more and more, and you just have to re- learn at one point to stop. I accessed all the letters that, thank God, still exist between Queen Victoria and her daughter, Vicky. This correspondence begins in January of 1858, when Vicky uh, leaves London for Berlin. And it ends uh, more than 50 years later when Queen Victoria dies. So there are 8,000 letters. Um, uh, They are published in five volumes. Um, I was going to go to Germany to see some of the other, uh, some additional ones that had been left out of the published um, correspondence. But the the curators uh, of the castle in Germany where these letters are said to me, well, you can come, but Queen Victoria's handwriting is almost illegible. <laughs> and, uh, given the difficulties, I didn't really did have enough in the five volumes of letters between these two women. I had enough to to build a whole novel. And in fact, I tell the story in the first part of the book about how these letters were saved and they were snuck out of Germany under the Kaiser's nose. He wanted them all burned. Well, was there anything in your research of the period and the historical figures that surprised you? Several things really surprised me. I think it's easy to forget that the royal family may be very exalted in their status in life, and they might have a lot of money, but of course, they're just people. And they argue with each other, (laughs) just like other families, and they get into bitter disputes about who gets to use certain summer houses at certain other times, and jealousies, who's prettier, who's more loved. Um, So that surprised me. But I think also a very poignant thing surprised me. You know, we're used to people who have handicapped children, um, accepting these children and loving them like any other child. In the 19th century, when you were a royal bride, like Vicky was, and you give birth to a handicapped child, as she did, because Kaiser Wilhelm has a paralyzed arm, she had a great deal of shame over this. And she had a great deal of difficulty dealing with her son because he wasn't the perfect prince that she was supposed to produce. So that surprised me, and it reminded me that women of status in these kind of situations, they had pressures on them that, that is really hard for us to understand. Well, given the historical record, how did you approach writing the novel? Did you extensively plot it and pay attention to dates and uh, before you began writing? What was that process like for you? Um, 
that's a great question, Jeff, because it's, you know, writing a whole life is um, really long, especially uh, a life like Vicky's, which is very well documented. So you know where she was at really every week of her life, right? So I, I decided to, I did write an outline based on the major incidents that I wanted to cover. And these weren't always incidents of public interest. They were more intimate um, moments in her life, um, certainly her marriage and her wedding night, that, um, then their first weeks together as a couple, her and her German prince, and then their struggles to understand each other and work as a unit, um, which like all married couples, people have trouble with that. The other thing that I did during my research that I think is very important is I was very, very careful to use the vocabulary that was 19th century words. She writes, as I said, extensive letters. And I used to keep a little list of all the Vicky words that uh, Vicky liked to use. And I tried to tell the story using those words. And I, I scrubbed out all 20, 20th and 21st century particular vocabulary. Well, had you written fiction before you wrote A Most English Princess? I wrote a lot of failed fiction. <laughs> I uh, have been interested in writing fiction since I was a child. Um, however, I, uh, I never really could get off ground with it, especially when I was a young woman and I also needed to uh, earn a living. Um, so instead of writing the great American novel, I, I decided to become a newspaper reporter, which um, you know is a way of writing every day, and I did like it. Uh, but I wrote some short stories, and they were never published or accepted. So this was my first um, very successful project, and I was thrilled um, that uh, Morrow chose to publish it quite promptly after reading it. And and how did you how did you kind of work in the writing? Were you working a day job while you were were you were you working on the novel? Um, well. Um, one one little uh, important fact about me is that I used to be a magazine editor, and uh -huh. a successful one. I was the editor of Maxim. I was an editor at InStyle. I was an editor at Time. However, you may be aware, and your listeners, the magazine business has sort of collapsed, and yes. magazine editors um, lost their jobs in droves. And I indeed lost my job in January of 2018. I began writing the same week, um, and it took me two years, uh, almost two years, to finish uh, to finish the book. <laughs> that that's a good distraction. <laughs> I was lucky to have a little severance to keep me going, and my husband has a job, so yeah, sure. Supported me while I uh, while I worked on this. So, what writing advice would you offer for those who are listening, who are working on their own stories or novels? Uh, my number one thing is I want to be very encouraging. Everybody can write a good story, and even maybe a good novel. Although a novels are. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. a long time. So that's, that's why it's harder. Um, the most important thing is to put your butt in the chair every day and try to write something. Um, uh, and also to learn from the masters. There are a number of very good books on writing. One of them is by Adam Sexton. Another one is by Stephen uh, King. Um, and in both books, they, these men suggest great books to read and to learn from. So 
um, embark with great hope and belief, put the time in, and learn from the masters. Great. Well, are you working on another novel now? Jeff, I'm working on three different novels. I think one of them is better than the others. So um, I'm, I'm about 10,000 words into it. And when I stop promoting A Most English Princess, I'm, I'm going to finish it. Um, and I learned a lot by writing one novel. So I hope that um, my second one will be better. Great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, um, do you have all day? Um, I want to start by saying that uh, there's a wonderful new novel by an American writer, Lily King, called Writers and Lovers. Everyone should read that, especially it's it's, it's a little girly maybe for you, Jeff, but it's a great novel. Um, I'm also a huge fan of the Australian author Shirley Hazard. I've been reading her books, The Great Fire and um, The Transit of Venus. There's a new novel out by an Irish writer called Maggie O'Farrell. The, the novel just ran, uh, won a big prize in Britain. It's called Hamnet. It's about um, the death of Shakespeare's uh, young son. It, it's very emotional. And then the classics I always recommend, especially for those people who are interested in historical fiction, are Hilary Mantel's book on Thomas Cromwell, but also the brilliant Gore Vidal um, book, Lincoln, about the savior of the Union. Um, really unmatched in American um, letters as a, as a piece of historical fiction. Even if you don't agree with every aspect of the interpretation, he casts you back into the world of the Civil War um, in, a, in an indescribably well uh, done way. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, A Most English Princess? I was so lucky to nab ClaireMcHugh.com. No one else wanted it. So please come to ClaireMcHugh.com and you can see um, uh, more about my book, some of my other writings about, uh, about I am a book reviewer as well. And also I am very open to attending book clubs um, who want to read my book and hear me talk, uh, you know, ask me questions about it. Um, you know, in the, in the all Zoom world, we can all go all over the country at a, um, without, with ease. So I would welcome those kind of inquiries. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Claire McHugh, author of A Most English Princess. The novel is, av- is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Claire, thanks for doing this interview. It's so great to meet you over the podcast, Jeff. And now, here's an excerpt from the audiobook of A Most English Princess by Claire McHugh, narrated by Catherine Lee McEwen, brought to you by Harper Audio, and available wherever audiobooks are sold. The Isle of Wight, June 1847 Vicky stood in the dining room of Osborne House, legs wide apart, bald fists on her hips, striking what Mamma called her little madam attitude. She scowled up at a large painting on the wall. Some months ago, Papa had declared it time a portrait be made of them all, and she recalled the artist, Herr Winterhalter, coming to Windsor to do sketches of everyone in the family, but she'd never imagined the finished picture would look anything like this. Herr Winterhalter had placed Bertie, right in the centre next to Mamma, who had her arm around his shoulders, while Vicky was pushed far down into the bottom corner, watching over Lenchen in her cradle. It was as if Bertie were eldest and best, which was certainly not true. Vicky was the oldest in the family and the cleverest, 
everyone knew. Mama and Papa often wished aloud that Bertie would be more like Vicky. In the mornings, when she and Bertie went to visit Mama and Papa in their tall bed, hung with emerald green curtains, and Papa read poetry aloud to them, or talked about the Greeks and the Romans, Bertie would fiddle with the wooden soldier he carried in his pocket, and sometimes pluck at the knots of the silk bed cover. Mama snapped, Bertie, don't fidget while Papa is speaking. Look at your sister. She is not fidgeting. At such moments, Vicky would beam at Papa, and he would beam right back. He didn't have to worry about her not listening. What a good and pretty girl she was, Papa often said. And while Mama never praised as much, she liked to summon Vicky to sing for her ladies, or recite, or speak in French. Her accent was much admired, also the way she could express herself so clearly in English and in German. Of course, Bertie spoke German too. They all did. Papa had come from Germany to marry Mama. She called him Angel, and because of him, Mama said, she had forgotten all about her sad childhood when, without brothers or sisters, she had lived with only Grandmama and her governess for company in Kensington Palace. Her own father had died, and Grandmama had been very anxious to keep Mama, who was heir to the throne, far away from bad influences. Why were you heir? Vicky had asked her once. Because my uncle, King William, had no children, Mama said. How did Grandmama keep the bad influences out? Did she lock the door? Mama laughed. This is too complicated for a child to understand, Puss. Grandmama tried, I will say that. Now Mama was queen, and Papa helped her. Perhaps because she'd had no Papa, Mama could be very irritable, and she didn't seem to care for little children, though she had so many. After Vicky, who was six, came Bertie, five, and Alice, four, then Affie, really Alfred, who was two, and a new baby, Lenchen, whose proper name was Helena. Because she was eldest, Vicky was the Princess Royal, so much better than being plain Princess Alice like her little sister. But Bertie was a boy, the oldest boy, and that appeared to be best of all. Mama called him the nation's child, and Papa talked about his special destiny. How very aggravating, vexing, and not right. As Vicky stared at Herr Winterhalter's picture, she began to wonder how things could be arranged differently. Papa always said royal persons must be dutiful and committed to the welfare of the nation. Mightn't it be her duty to explain to him the better way? No use talking about this with Mama. She never had patience for long, serious discussions, as Papa did. Vicky cast her eyes around the room, thinking. Like the picture, most everything in it was new. The long mahogany dining table gleamed, highly polished, with eight matching chairs lining either side, like soldiers at attention awaiting people to come in to eat and converse. A thick, flowered carpet had been laid down underfoot. The walls were painted a rich blue, the colour of the most noble order of the garter, the senior knighthood of England. 
Papa had designed this house on the Isle of Wight for them because he didn't like how at Windsor there were no proper walled gardens for children to play in, and ministers and tradesmen paraded in and out all day long, which was so very disruptive. He pronounced, We are a growing family, and we need a home that is comfortable, peaceful, and most of all private. But Papa had made sure Osborne House was properly regal and fittingly decorated. One of his very favourite pieces, a Roman bust of a lady, had been placed in a white alcove on the dining-room's far wall, directly opposite a large window. Vicky admired how graceful and confident the lady looked, wearing a diadem, presiding over the whole high, elegant space. Now she walked over to the window and peered out at the terrace and the lawn that rolled down to the sea. The sun shone, and she could catch tantalising glimpses of sparkling water between the far trees. She could ask Papa to take her to the beach. That was a good idea to talk and to look for shells. Vicky had started a collection, and Papa's eyes were sharp. He always spotted good ones. She hurried off to find him.